0: This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 154. Hi, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I'm really, really super excited to have some very special guests. Uh, Dr. Monica Jones and Dr. Stephanie Reinhardt, and they are both women that I met through my coaching, and I was really excited to find out that they were both in the military, and they're both veterinarians, and they're both mothers, and so I thought that would be a really um, fun thing to talk about on the podcast, and so I invited them to join me today. Welcome to you wonderful (laughs) ladies. Thank you. Thank you Thanks so much for being here. I really Thanks appreciate for having it. us. And I do not know your military titles, so I'm gonna ask you to kind of introduce yourself and explain all that because I know nothing about the military, and so I'm really excited to learn about it. So, Monica, if you wouldn't mind starting and just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and tell us your story.
1: Sure. Yeah. So my name's Monica Jones. in the Civilian World. When I'm at work, they call me Dr. Monica Jones, but when I'm in the Army, they call me Major Jones. Um, So I'm a major in the Army. Um, I'm actually in the Reserves, but I just got out of active duty about a year ago, actually. Um, I was in the active duty as a veterinarian with the Army for almost eight years. And then I got out to do the reserve so that I could spend more time with my kids. Um, I just didn't want to work full time. And you can't do that on active duty. You can't work part time. <laughs> you you have to work full time. So the reserve job is really cool. Um, I can talk more about that. But right now I'm assigned to the um, it's the 440th Civil Affairs Battalion in Colorado. Colorado Springs. And they do in civil affairs, more humanitarian type missions. And I'm really excited about those types of missions. And in the active side, you can do a million different jobs. I mean, that's an over exaggeration. You can do a lot of different jobs as a veterinarian. <laughs> um, and But my experience was pretty limited to just um, what they call TDA, which is um, kind of working on a base Manning a veterinary clinic, and I was lucky to get some overseas assignments. So I was stationed in Spangdalem, Germany, which is an Air Force base. And before that, I was stationed in um, Iwakuni, Japan, which is a Marine Corps base, and had super cool experiences with both of those. But neither one of those were combat assignments. So I was running a vet clinic on a military base overseas for both of those assignments. And prior to that, I spent one year. And an internship that the army does for veterinarians called fig v at fort campbell kentucky and that was that was a fun year too because i had some mentors and i had some some other captains at that time that that i got to serve and learn alongside with um, and so prior to <laughs> prior to that i was in vet school um the the army has a a commissioning program that's a scholarship program and so they they award you a scholarship um, if you meet their criteria or whatever, um, and you can apply for it while you're in vet school, and then they'll give you kind of a, a full ride through vet school for three years most of the time. It could be shorter depending on when you apply for the scholarship. And then you commission as a captain, which is a an 03 officer, grade three. And then you start serving your time after you graduate from vet school, which includes some various training things that you have to do. Um, <clears throat> but I actually joined the military when I was in college <laughs> through the ROTC program. And so I was in the reserves just as a medical, it it was just like a medical officer. And I would at that time was a second lieutenant and then promoted to first lieutenant, which just was it doesn't matter that much, but um but that was just my commission after college. So I served a little bit in the reserves between college and vet school. So
0: so that's my history. When you went in it when you went into the military in undergrad, did you know that you wanted to go to vet school and that you had they had the scholarship? Or like was that yeah. the foundation or did you just always want to be military?
1: Yeah, no, actually. So my dad was in the Navy and people would ask me in high school, oh, are you going to join the military like your dad? And I thought, no, I don't want to do that, (laughs) you know, just because, and I don't know when you're, when you're whatever, 18 years old, you think that, you know, a lot. Um, But I didn't like moving a lot as a kid, I guess, you know, you're new all the time. And um, in hindsight, it made me a much stronger, more resilient person, I think. And it, and it drew our family quite close together because we were all we had when we moved everywhere. Um, and so in retrospect, it was a great upbringing for sure. <clears throat> um, but I would, I actually went to Colorado state. I grew up kind of in California. Um, and I went to Colorado state cause I knew I wanted to go to vet school at Colorado state. And so the, Being a veterinarian was always my dream, and so when I was in college, and I kind of missed being part of sports and part of a team, and then I started the ROTC program because I heard of the HPSP scholarship, and I thought, oh, this will make me more competitive for it. Um, So I thought, and (laughs) while it did make me more competitive, it the contract that I had through the ROTC program made it quite complicated for me to be eligible for the HPSP scholarship because the people that were involved at the time thought that they conflicted. And so it actually was much more difficult for me to get the scholarship. But maybe they've worked out the kinks with that since then. Um but it was to answer your question in a long way. It was in an effort to get the scholarship. And the in theory my ROTC contract would have rolled in seamlessly with my HPSP contract, but I didn't get into vet school right away. So I had to start serving my time um, while I waited another year to try to get into vet school again. So it kind of made things more complicated.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, that's a good story. I didn't know all the details. So yeah. What about you, Stephanie? Tell us your journey just so I have Uh, a background and then we'll learn
2: more. Yeah. um, So my journey is, complete opposite when I was 18 and young. And I felt like I really didn't know anything about the world. (laughs) Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I enjoyed planes. So I thought a great idea would be to join the air force. Um, and I did right out of high school. Um, I enlisted,
0: um, and was there other people in your family that were military? Like no, you just were no. like, I like planes. I'm going to go into the air force.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it kind of came from a place of like, I don't want to go to college and I don't know what else I want to do. So this is something that I can go and they'll give me a job and I can choose to change or not, or I mm, can something. get out or yeah. 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 And so I actually looked out, I ended up loving my job in the military. Um, I was really good at my job too. <laughs> I excelled really quickly, um, through the different positions in my job and also through the ranks. Um, I was active duty for six years and I, um, honorably discharged with, uh, E5, um, which is pretty good compared to some people. I got staff sergeant the first time I tested. Wow. Uh, so I did really well when I was in the military. I also took, I volunteered and took a tour in Afghanistan um, back in 2010. And that, that was a big thing for me. I really, you know, I grew up with um, 9-11 and kind of felt like I would joined the military partly to serve my country. And so it was important for me to go and do a tour um, overseas because the job I had it was an amazing job. We traveled all the time. Um Japan, Australia, Thailand. We got to travel a ton and all over the states as well. Um but my job didn't deploy. So I volunteered to do that as well and um that deployment was really meaningful to me and I felt like it was really making a difference um during that tour. Um But then towards the end of my military career, which I didn't know was gonna happen, um, I didn't know it was gonna be the end. I had prospects of um, completing college and applying to um, OTC, which is officer training. Um, But I had a fall off my horse, was wearing my helmet, but um, still ended up with a mild concussion and started getting migraines. Um, So they told me I couldn't fly anymore. couldn't do my job anymore. Um, and my dreams of becoming a pilot were squashed. (laughs) Mm. Um, so I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but my horse, um, when I got him, he was very malnourished. Um, and he was not a a good choice for a first horse,
3: (laughs) But well, I couldn't you know
2: that you didn't know it at the time, right? <laughs> well, I couldn't leave him. He was malnourished. He had poor hooves. He just was sad and lovable, and um, so I kind of had a crash course on how to take care of a horse um, and bring him back to health. And I decided if I can't fly anymore, I'm going to help more horses. Um, so I got out of the military and entered an animal science program. Um. And my first semester went really well. (laughs) I got straight A's. And the school I was at had a program called three plus one. And so you do three years of undergrad, you meet your requirements to get into vet school and you meet the requirements of the program. You apply to vet school um, before your third year instead of your fourth year of your bachelor program. Um, And if you get accepted to vet school. Um, and it only correlates to, two um, to Minnesota and to, um, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, if you get into vet school during your third year, after your first year of vet school, they retroactively grant you your bachelor's degree. Um, so That's I, so I got into both. <laughs> I chose to go to Madison cause I'm from Wisconsin. Um, and um so I started my veterinary veterinary school experience without my bachelor's degree, which is there are many other people who do it, but I still got mine because of the program. Um and I thought I was getting to cut a year off of my schooling because I don't really love school. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I ended up getting pregnant during my second year. Um and I was so sick I had hyperemesis gravidarum um I was so sick I couldn't make it to classes and I couldn't study the material it just would not stay in my brain and so I had to drop back a year um
3: so overall I ended up eight years of schooling (laughs) and I just graduated this past spring yeah so
0: she's a brand new veterinarian yep So, Stephanie, you joined the military because you really you loved planes and you didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Monica kind of had a family connection what is What is it about joining the military that people don't understand? Like people like me who don't have a military family and don't really get it, like what is that? What is that drive to serve and join the that kind of Situation. Is is there. (laughs) I'm like,
3: I'm happy to go first.
0: (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Go go for it. Just jump right in.
2: For me, it was an opportunity to see the world. I grew up in small town Wisconsin and um, I knew I wanted to travel and didn't really have means to travel. So I knew that joining the military would be a good way to do that. Um, and I really lucked out with my job, like I said before, but I was stationed in Nebraska
3: the whole time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't live anywhere cool, (laughs) but, um, so part of the driving force for me was to see the world. Um, but you don't
3: really know what you're going to get when you join the military. Um, I think that everybody like it depends on your job. It depends on your experience. It depends on where
2: you're at in life and the, you know, when you get married or if you get married or, um, whatnot. But the thing that really I took away from the military is my military family is still my family. Um, I actually spoke with one of my best friends from the military, uh, just two weeks ago. And she and I hadn't talked in a year, but we picked up the phone and it was just like we had seen each other yesterday, even though she's living in New Jersey now. <laughs> so you picked up right where you left off. Yeah and, yeah. and that's kind of it. And I know that I can reach out to my military family if I need things. And um, they're always checking in on me. They're always seeing if I need anything. And I've been out for eight years.
0: So... <laughs> Like it's, and you still feel like that's your, those are your people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm out, there are connections that I made that are definitely still family members. And I've kind of picked that up along the way. And I've kind of carried that through my life. Like there are people from undergrad that I created that relationship with, but I don't know that I would have known how to create
3: that relationship with them if I didn't already have experienced that. Is that kind of the same for you, Monica?
1: Yeah, that totally resonates. I think that the military is I, unique, I think, in the way that it can really bond people together. And um, and it's kind of like an automatic community in a way. Um, there's lots of kind of infrastructure that can help support families and support soldiers. and um, And I think that there's really cool programs that really help. I don't know, just help foster that type of community type, um, mentality, but also just like what you have to deal with really just brings people together. Um, you can imagine probably not being involved in the military, but like the combat stuff for sure, you know, Stephanie can definitely speak more to that than I can. Cause I haven't deployed. Um, but I know many, many people that have, and, you know, women that have children that they've had to like say goodbye to their husband for nine to 12 months while they're on deployment. And then being, being back and helping surround those families with love and support um, being more on the supporting end and not the deployed end. um, It's really cool. It's really unique and having been out of it now for a year, like sometimes it's kind of lonely on the civilian side because people don't rally, I guess, the same to like, welcome you in a new place. And, um and I don't know, commiserate in the same types of things that you're dealing with, I guess. Um So <clears throat> I think that that's a really cool part of the military. I'm not quite sure. What was your original question? Was it like, what draw, like, what draws you or what is different about the military that people don't really well know. That,
0: that people like me who don't know anything about the military or what the drive is to to mm-hmm. join yeah. and then what the experience is once you're there like what's yeah. what's something that someone like me that doesn't know anything about it would find you know fascinating or different than yeah. you know just civilian life and and some of it you've already talked about a little bit is mm-hmm. that there's that big community and You know, Mm -hmm. I, have always admired people that have volunteered to go into the military. Some of my family members, um, have, but not, not my immediate. So, um, just like what, what's the, what's the driver and then what's unique about it? You know, that Mm -hmm. people like me wouldn't, wouldn't really understand.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, Stephanie talked to this too, but I think a a big drive for a lot of us. Well, I mean, there's a lot of motivating factors for sure, but there is like, there's a small part of you when you, when you step up to serve the military, where you're just kind of like proud to be able to serve your country in a way that's like combat arms, you know, like, I mean, yeah, I know how to, I know how to shoot weapons. I don't carry them every day as a veterinarian for sure, you know, and there's men and women who do, you know, and they are really doing a lot of that type of stuff. But just that you're joining, whatever the one percent of Americans that are volunteering to to make some sacrifices for their country, and there's just something really patriotic about that that feels really good. And coming from a little bit of a legacy of military family, like I was proud for that reason to do it, and unexpected, right? Because I didn't think I would do that when I was in high school, Um, but then when I did it, I'm not doing it. Yeah, like my dad when I first commissioned, when I was in college, my dad swore me in, you know, I have a paper that my, yeah, my retired dad, you know, swore me into the military and I'm quite proud of that. And so, um, you know, and Stephanie got to raise her hand to go, um, serve in war, you know, in a war zone. And I think that there's something that those men and women come back with that changes them probably that I don't, that I can't talk to, but, um, you know, I think that there's like a thing when you're a service member that kind of you want to do that to be able to fight for your country too, kind of thing. Um, and whatever in whatever role that you play in the military. So mm-hmm. that I think is a drive, but there's also a lot of just like drives that make sense. You know, Stephanie talked about being young and not knowing what to do. And the military is amazing for people like that, because it really can like give you a job and a purpose and a direction and mentorship and money and security. And they tell you where to move and what to do. And they give you health insurance. And um, I mean, it's really quite socialized, whether whatever, you know, I'm not making this political at all, but it is, I mean, like you have free healthcare and it's cool, but most of it is like really great healthcare. You can Everybody can have a reason to complain, but, like, I always had good experiences with my health care, and I never had to worry about paying for it, and they paid for housing and And if you want an adventure and you don't know where you want to go, they'll tell you <laughs> they say you're going to move here, and you do it, you know. Um, yeah, there's some I think some some things are a little disenchanting about the military that my husband and I had to kind of navigate through. Um, you know, it's a big, it's a big organization. So, so things that don't make sense, it's hard to see them change. Um, And, and they do change. It just takes a long time to see that change happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the government, it takes a long time to get things changed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's some like really gross inefficiencies and things that are so annoying. Like there's like a common saying of like, hurry up and wait, all the time for the military you just like are rushing and rushing and rushing and then you sit down and you just wait forever because it's just so inefficient sometimes um and there's nuances to everything and my experience really is limited to the veterinary corps which has its own its own saga of drama and annoying things but there's also so many cool things and I'm really proud of of it too um and something that I want to mention that goes back to kind of the community aspect that's very veterinary specific that I think is so cool and unique is that I've been able to learn under and with and serve with various mentors in veterinary medicine that are, have specialized like board certified surgeons, pathologists, internal medicine specialists, and like I still reach out to those people. I mean, just yesterday I reached out to a pathologist and I'm a, you know, I'm a civilian now, but I have this network of people that I've met and bonded with and worked under and learned from that. I feel like I can be a better veterinarian because of their influence in my life and because I've learned under them. And that is like super cool and unique about the military.
0: That is cool. Yeah. So Stephanie, why don't you start, but I want to hear from both of you, what would, what was like your normal day? I mean, I know you were there for eight years. Is that what you told me? Both of you? Mm-hmm. No, six years, Stephanie. <clears throat> six, yeah. So what was kind of like a day? Like you can pick whatever time or give me two or three days, but like, what do you actually do? Um, so once I started my job, I didn't have
2: a normal day. Um, my job was very fly by the seat of your pants, for lack of a better phrase. Um, <laughs> if plans changed, you changed, and <laughs> and so my schedule generally was um, a week with the aircraft, um, cause we have the aircraft it's called holding it hot, which means all the in- equipment on the inside is on all the time. Um, so we'd hold the equipment hot. We would pull a week of alert. Um, then we'd have what's called,
3: um, gosh, I'm blanking on the word, um, crew rest. Nope. Anyways, we'd have two days off, which
2: usually went into the weekend. So it was nice cause you got four days off. <laughs> Um, but then you'd be back in the office, um, for a week and then you'd be on standby for a week, which is like, if things change, you need to go to the
3: aircraft. Um, but if things didn't change, it was kind of
0: like time off. Um, So so wait a minute, you're going to have to help me here. So you're at a, like an air force base Mm -hmm. and the planes are there. Yeah. And part of your job is to keep them ready. Yeah. In case we need them. So if something happens and we need like a bunch of planes to take off, you're one yeah. of the people that keeps them ready to go. And yeah. Going.
2: So it's very specific. Um, The platform I flew on is called the E4B, um, which is also known as the National Airborne Operations Center, um, the NAC. And the joke, the long term joke, is that it's the Flying Pentagon. Um, so it ha it has very similar duties to like wartime readiness. Um, and it has to be, it is 24, seven, three Um, somebody's on that plane doing the job. And when you're on alert, when you're holding the airplane hot, um, you sleep in specified barracks. Um, you have a specified shift and you can only go to specified places within the base And you have to use a specified vehicle. Oh, cool. Yep. And the vehicles generally had um, a siren in them because if um, the plane needed to go, the whole team needed to get on the plane. And um, so we would have practice runs. Um, And so you might be at the BX having lunch. (laughs) The BX is like a a Walmart with a food court. (laughs) You might be at the BX having lunch and, uh, the alarm goes off and you leave your food and you go <laughs> and you go to the plane. Yeah.
0: And then, and then the if the plane's flying somewhere, then are you on the plane?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so what and is so your job when you're on the plane?
2: So, um, holding it hot and being on, on the plane is the same. Um, we're constantly I was in the radio position, which is constantly monitoring the phones and the radios and connecting calls, um, phone or radio calls to other people within the plane. Um, And so we worked in shifts so that the plane could be going 24-7. And if you were on shift, you were already on the plane when the alarm went off. Um, If you're not on shift, you get on the plane. And (laughs) after takeoff, you can go sleep in a bunk if you're not on shift. Or you sit in the back and you pull out a book or whatever, and you have your time off in the plane, and you don't know where you're going. um usually usually, we do. Um, for the for the alarms, we might not immediately, but we'll figure it out in flight. Um, but sometimes we had to move to be um within a certain distance of of the president. And so sometimes we had like scheduled moves like, oh, we have to move to Texas today. And (laughs) so it was just crazy. There was no normal day, even being in the office. Like sometimes you have to go out and get jet prepped. So we had four planes, two to three were usually on base. One was always hot, but the one that's hot wasn't always on base. Um, but if we needed to switch aircraft for some reason, or if one of the aircraft was going on a special mission, somebody wouldn't be called up to go
0: prep the plane.
2: So there really were no normal day
0: for me. (laughs) So to me, that sounds like really good preparation for being a veterinarian. (laughs) Like if your if your day can be whatever, anytime. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like really good preparation.
2: It, It was, um, It was fun. It was really interesting. Like I said, I was good at my job. I enjoyed my job, but I don't miss being a mid shifter, (laughs) (laughs) which which equates to third shift being a mid shifter and then having to fly out at 8am and, and then having an alarm at (laughs) 4pm. So you're
0: just up and up and up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Don't miss those days. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So what about you, Monica, what, because you worked as a veterinarian. So your experience was probably totally different than that. You weren't yeah. jumping on planes. Oh yeah. Totally different than that. So, so, what's so that, What is it like being a vet in the military? Like, what yeah, is your Not
1: nearly yet? as glorious probably. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. And again, my experience is limited. There's, you can talk to 10 different vets in the army and probably have different you know, different experiences if they were in a, what we'd call a tow unit, which would be way more combat. They're, they're a unit that is ready, ready to deploy. So they focus more on military working dog readiness and then their own readiness. So they're going to ranges and they're what you call PMCSing vehicles. And so they're, they're making sure that their Humvees are good and their equipment is good. And so they do a lot of that, like more military stuff, but (laughs) me as a veterinarian assigned to like a TDA unit which is the garrison uh, on the base <clears throat> um i my life looked very much as like a hospital administrator probably and i i also worked two small vet clinics overseas so i was the one in charge and in japan i had a food section so we did like a lot of food safety inspections and my soldiers went out and did food inspections all over base. And then my job, other than overseeing them and doing my routine inspections for them <clears throat> or for the the base facilities would be to do what we call commercial sanitary audits. And so if there is, and um, we do this state as well, if there's a place that serves food on base, whether it's just sold at the commissary, which is the grocery store on base or the BX, which is the kind of Walmart on base, um, or the shopettes, which are like little gas stations on base. Um, (laughs) then if there's a, and it's not all food, but certain food has criteria that they have to be listed or not. And if they have to be listed in this worldwide approved directory, then a veterinarian has to go inspect the facility. And so, um, I inspected, you know, water plants and lettuce factories that, that made shredded, shredded lettuce for McDonald's that was on base and, um, all sorts of things. And that was really cool actually, like to kind of see the ins and outs of how food is made, especially in Japan and in Germany, which is a little bit different than in the United States too. Japan has really impeccable food standards food safety standards. In my experience, there have, there are some facilities in Japan that maybe weren't really that great, but anyways, so that, that wouldn't necessarily, the food mission is part of your routine, but maybe not part of your daily routine, but definitely like in the month of routines. Um, <clears throat> and so like a day in the life of a TDA vet would maybe be, I'd get up, I'd often get up at like four or four thirty to go to PT. And that, Varies based on your base and what your commander wants and all that, but I would go with or without my unit and work out from like 5 30 to 6 30 and then be at work somewhere between 7 30 and 8. And then, um, I'd sit in my office. And then, I'd the other part is like the animal mission, and so you're running a vet clinic, so you have civilian staff under you, and then you probably have at least one we call them tangos, they're 68 tango. That's the that's the designator for, um, an animal healthcare assistant. So they're your technician, your military tech. And so, um, you're kind of overseeing all of your people and answering emails, which is one of the worst parts of being a um, military vet is the amount of emails that you have to answer. And there's like taskers that you have to do. And, and then you see appointments and try to, sometimes you're lucky if you get like, a, we call them a NAF veterinarian and non-appropriated funds. So they're your civilian veterinarian and they hopefully are there to kind of see the the day in and day out stuff. But, and then you have a kennel full of military working dogs and you're in charge of their care. And so I would always institute once a month doing their preventatives and getting their weights and talking to the handlers and making sure everything's fine. And then the military working dogs specifically have two exams that are required every year. Um, One is um, a fully comprehensive exam where they have vaccines and lab work and um, if they need x-rays or dental cleanings. And then the other one is just kind of an easy check, like making sure everything's still fine. And of course, if one was sick, we would just move everything to the side and make sure to prioritize their care. But it would be, my days were kind of like, you know, PT, work all day with or without a lunch, depending on the day, and then end at like five. And I struggled a lot as a vet in the Army to do the home the home life work balance well because it just seemed like something we try to work
0: on right oh yeah for <laughs> it's sure I mean all difficult for all of us I think
1: yeah yeah but I really struggled because like vets are just type a people that want to make sure that everything's done and everything's done well. And there was too much of it. There was always too much work to do. And yes, that's true for veterinary medicine, but it's even more as a military vet, because you have like all the taskers and all the emails and then your soldiers and your food mission and your animal mission, and then your military working dogs. And like you could, I could never leave a day feeling like, wow, like I did, I did all the things I'm like, like that never happened. And I'm sure, and you've talked about that on the podcast too. Like, that's a common problem for everybody, but I think if I could redo it, I would maybe not put so much pressure on myself to feel like that was how I was valued at work was getting everything done. And so I learned that through the years, but almost too late. I think I kind of burnt out before I learned that lesson.
0: Yeah. And that happens to so many of us, right? Like we yeah. overcommit and over offer mm-hmm. and and it really it it will be there tomorrow. And I'm sure the same thing with the military is like I I don't have to do all these emails today, but you yeah. felt like you had to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you think that I I mean it was an age-long saga of like not enough staff to delegate things to. And so in a perfect world, you could delegate things well. But oftentimes people change over whether it's their time to move or you have a new employee or whatever. And you could there was never a time where like I could efficiently delegate tasks. So I felt like I had to do them all, which was also kind
0: of a rough place to always be in. So Yeah. So when you're when you're the veterinarian on the military base and you were on several, right? Because you're in Japan and mm-hmm. Germany.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there multiple veterinarians that are military or is it one military vet? That- oversees all the civilians like how does that work
1: yeah so um it's just one vet per base um really like and not all bases so you didn't you didn't have
0: other vets to work with
1: not necessarily unless you had a civilian vet which was always amazing um because they felt more like kind of a comrade instead of being the lonely person on the top like in charge of everybody um but the there's neighboring bases that also have vets. So they were just a phone call away. You know, they're probably always several hour drive away, but they they I talk to probably a vet every day in some context. On you the know, phone or whatever. On the phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think are the unique skills that you learned in either one of your jobs that kind of set you up for either just working as a veterinarian, um, or even in vet school In Stephanie's case, she came out of the military and went into vet school. Like, what do you think those skills are that, that might be uniquely, um, gained by being part of the military? Are there any? Yeah, I'll
2: go first again. Okay. Um, for me, I work really well under, under pressure, like things hit the fan and I honestly just calm down. Like I go into my zone and I'm just, um, I actually worked as a vet assistant during undergrad and it would be so interesting to me because it was almost surreal. Like everybody else would be panicking and I just kind of shift. And I just kind of felt like I was throwing, flowing through this situation. Like, i get this done and this done and this done and this done. And everybody else seems to be like running around crazy (laughs) around being, I'm just like here and there and all my tasks are done. Oh, that person needs this and this. And then everything like calms down and everybody else is like, oh my God, it was so busy. I'm like, I'm good.
0: (laughs) So that that was something the military taught you.
2: Well, I think it was really specific to my job because my job was being ready in a moment's notice and knowing. And it was
0: step by step by step.
2: Yeah. yep. Yeah. And so it really played perfectly into the position of assistant because once I learned my job and I'm really good at picking up my job. Um, and I think that's just a personal skill. I don't necessarily think that's a military <laughs> skill. I'm really good at picking up um, tasks and how to do them and how to accomplish them. And so once I had a really a basic understanding of my job, it was really easy for me to go go through and just piece it together, even if it was different each time. Because that's the other thing that my job taught me is it's not always going to be the same. Sometimes you're the person on the job on the on the plane, and sometimes you're the person at the BX. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it really taught me flexibility and staying calm and focused in a tough situation. And I'm really curious to see, um, I'm currently doing an equine internship and I'm actually going to apply to small animal jobs here soon.
0: Um, (laughs) she shifted from equine to small animal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually really curious to see, um, how I fit back into a small animal clinic at the top, instead of at that low level cleanup behind everybody else position. Yeah. That will be fascinating. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about you, Monica?
1: Man, I wish I could say what Stephanie said, because that's like a superpower. I feel like Um, you have that. Um, You pick that up too. Do you think? (laughs) Well, I think it's a different kind of resiliency I picked up in the military. Um, but I think my personality isn't like, I think I learned a lot about like when things go wrong, to sort it out. I didn't have the supernatural, you know, like calm and everything like works, you know, like I'm like more efficient, you know, like I'm kind of a a freezer sometimes when things really hit the fan where I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what to do first, you know. But I think the military does help you learn how to prioritize things well. You know, you try to figure you triage things and that's a skill that I had to learn just in getting my work done, trying to figure out the best, you know, but I also, I don't know, just my job and specifically, I learned a lot about people and about managing people and leadership is
0: really hard to do leadership it. Leadership is hard. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things that we lack going mm-hmm. through vet school is people don't teach us how to be good leaders. And if you don't have that interest or drive to become a good leader and study leadership, it is really difficult. Like I, I mentor a lot of people in leadership and, and they don't want the responsibility and they don't feel competent in, in being a leader. So yeah, that's a really good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I learned and grew and that was the, I think one of the hardest things in the military is learning and growing as a leader to like cater your different leadership styles to different people, because you can't not, it's not a one size fits all thing and trying to, trying to get the best out of a person who maybe brings a lot of baggage to the table, but you're still like trying to learn how to like, how can I bring the best out of them at work and assuming the best of people and not the worst and not, you know, not gossiping at work because that breeds a a toxic environment that you don't want your employees to emulate and trying to, to being confrontational when it's not in your nature to, and in order to affect positive change and to ensure that your working environment is healthy for everybody you have to confront things that aren't good and that isn't in my nature to want to do so i had to grow a lot that way
0: and do you feel like they trained you to that like is that because the military is so like rank involved mm-hmm. is that something that they train you to
1: i think to some extent but the, yeah, there's a little bit of trial by fire and a little bit of mentorship. And I think, I think it just depends. Some of it you really have to seek out and some of it you're given and it d- depends on your chain of command and the people that are there with you. And yeah, yeah. But but there is an emphasis on that, right? In the military is, is better leadership. So we have officer professional development. Um, they call it OPD and everything's an acronym for everything in the military. Um, <laughs> I'm and Let yeah,
0: so
1: <laughs> you're not going to try to remember them
0: either. Yeah. I'm I remember the Walmart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they would like your leadership would structure meetings, you know, periodically to help, to help foster that growth and, and open lines of communication to help flesh out, you know, like I'm struggling with this, how do you handle it or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, I do think that there is the structure set up to help you become a better leader, especially as you start, you know, climbing to higher areas where you have more people that you have,
0: you're in control over. Yeah. Because every time you go up a level, then you have more people underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what about um mother? What about becoming a mother and doing the things mothers have to do? Is that different as a military person? Like is it is there something that you learn through the military to be a better mom or I feel like I've talked a lot. I don't know if Stephanie has anything <laughs> to you say. Have, do you have <laughs> one of those,
1: Stephanie? <laughs> um honestly I didn't really think
2: about it this way, but I remember kind of being being in my first more, um, kind of designated leadership role. Like I was, um, an instructor in my position. So I always had students, but I went into the training squadron as an instructor. And so that literally put me above students as my airman. And when I gave my first introductory lecture, I said, if you are in trouble, or if you think you're going to be in trouble, you tell me first. Because I will come and I will c- help you. I can't help with everything, but I will come and I will do my best. And that's kind of held true with my son. Like, you know, if I hear him in the other room, like, and I think he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing, Hexton, what are you doing? Nothing.
0: <laughs> you know, nothing if they say nothing, you're in
2: trouble. <laughs> Michael, you're not in trouble. Please tell me so I know what's going on. And I think that's so big in a relationship. Like my airman would call me in a heartbeat. And sometimes it was stupid stuff. Like, you know, blue attire, like, do you know how to fix it? No. Okay. I'll be there. <laughs> I know how to fix it. <laughs> you know, cause some some were not well educated about having good insurance, so their insurance might not cover having a tow truck come. You know, and then others, it's like I remember getting a call at like two thirty in the morning, Sergeant Reinhardt. I'm drunk and I don't know where I am. I need you to come get me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that prepared you for having teenagers. Yeah, but it was it Cause, was because something like that is probably going to happen. Yeah, already, and I don't know, I don't want to be here.
2: Yeah, but like setting setting the groundwork for a relationship is something I learned with my airman that I really established with my son. Like, we have conversations, even though he's three. Like, we have conversations about like when to talk to me, when when uh, he can, you know, if he gets lost in the store, he already knows how to. React in that situation, and he's three. Like some kids don't learn till they're eight. <laughs> right, right. Um, just like big emotions. We even talk about that, and um, I think just like learning how to to have a relationship with other people. My experience with that
0: really started
2: in the military.
0: That sounds like a great lesson for everyone. Like Monica said, mm-hmm. the same thing. There's this bond and there's this trust mm-hmm. in. Just the in the group, and that would be a great thing to bring into your veterinary hospital great thing to bring into your leadership.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah do you have one, Monica, that you thought of or similar to that? Like yeah that makes you a better I, yeah. mom like did the military make you a better mom?
1: I don't know, and you and I've talked about this in my coaching, you know about how like you you've helped me try to change my mindset that veterinary medicine doesn't make me a bad mom. How does it make you a better mom? You know? And so I think I carried, I mean, it was a driving force in me getting out of active duty, honestly, as my kids. And I started out saying that, you know um, but I mean, that is mostly a time issue, you know, like you can't work 40 hours a week, a week and be home 40 hours a week, you know, you got to get at some point. So, and mine are little, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So. Um, almost four, she's almost four, but I don't know. I think the things in the military that maybe make me a better mom or, you know, communication for sure. Like Stephanie was saying, like the things that maybe I learned in leadership with communication and assuming the best and stuff like that, I think can totally apply to motherhood, prioritizing things better. I don't know. I think, I don't know being a vet and being in the military and all that, I think just trying to be a good role model for my kids and they're little right now. So it's hard to see that, but just showing them like good work ethic and treating people with kindness. And, and I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'm giving a lot of good answer for your question, but
0: all, I mean, those are all good life lessons. I think you can get, not only from the military, but just in general. Like those, those sound like really strong things to teach your kids and and model for them. Yeah. Even if they're little and they don't see you, you know, they'll see you in that because you're still doing the ROTC. So they'll see you being military, but they'll know, like when they're older, you'll tell them the stories and they'll ask the, they'll ask the things and, Mm -hmm. and they'll be proud that, you know, their, their mother was um, serving their country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I think so. I mean, of course, why wouldn't (laughs) you guys are both amazing. Your kids are going to be really lucky to have you. So is there something else that you want to share? Either something really great that happened or something really terrible that happened that was um, either a surprise or a lesson for you, like your favorite story? Oh, I, it's not quite on those lines. One thing
2: I did write down before we started talking was kind of the correlation of, um, suicide in the military and suicide. Yes.
3: That's a, that's a topic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that probably its own topic, but, um, just kind of like to bring awareness, like that it's kind of, the double edged sword like you kind of get the
0: double side of it like just they're really to- really good and they're
2: really really bad yeah, yeah it's just talking-
0: it's probably more of an extreme than most people get
2: yeah listening to monica talk i'm like wow that is sounds so stressful like more stressful than a normal civilian clinic but like i deployed and um i did have mild ptsd when i came back and it's mostly resolved but that's the thing; is it will never go away. There, there are moments when I like my episodes are very small and very mild, and probably even the people who know me really well probably couldn't catch them. But it's there, and I think that I've done a lot of work for myself about my mental health, seeing therapist and working with you for life coach and um, you know, self-help books and meditation and this, that, and the other thing. And I feel like I'm in a really great place mentally. Um, and I did all the hard work to get there.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and I think just that's something to remember if, if people are choosing to go into the military, like
3: it's that, that's just statistic is there and it's, There isn't a month that goes by that. I don't know a friend of a friend who committed suicide Mm -hmm. in either one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Suicide is such a, it's, it's a really hard thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. all the families, all the people that are left and. So what would your advice be, Stephanie? Like if a a vet's listening to us, military or not, and they're struggling, you know, which everyone does. And I like like to say on the podcast that everybody has issues. Even if we don't look like we do, like people don't go around sharing all their baggage and their anxiety and their panic attacks. And, you know, like I've shared some (laughs) on the podcast because, you know, we just for whatever reason have been taught that that's not stuff you just put out there. So the fact that everyone has it and then veterinarians have it on maybe a little higher level because of our level of stress. And then the military on top of that, like what would your advice be to people so we can prevent this so we can fix this so we can work on this and not lose people.
2: I think the first thing I would say is you are not a burden. like. You are not a burden. Your problems are not a burden. Take one small step today. If it's talking to a friend, if it's screaming in your pillow, <laughs> um, if it's downloading a meditation podcast, take one small step today and seek out help. Like therapy should be
0: normalized. <laughs> like it should. I normal. totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it absolutely should. And that, um, that's why I I want to do what I do or I do what I do because yeah. I I really think it should help should be available to everyone. And exactly. I don't know, does the military offer that? Do they have a good I think Monica <laughs> said it kind of does, right?
1: Well, the, yeah, Stephanie's kind of laughing and I'll, I just I'll interject but then I want Stephanie to share her thoughts. But um Yeah. I think that they're working really hard to get some resources out there. There's military one source that has like free counseling for people. I've never done it, so I don't know how hard it is, but there are, there's always like some sort of like thing that you have to jump over to get to where you need to go. But that might be, it's pretty accessible, you know, for people. I went to behavioral health. It's not like official counseling, but they like try to help I don't know, just help you like talk about stuff and then give you some like easy things to like think about doing, like breathing or meditating, you know, like and and those resources were readily available as well. And they have crisis counseling that you can access. And at least, I mean, Stephanie's experience was with the Air Force, and I think the air and being on an Air Force base, I think that they. Do an even better job than maybe some of the other services in terms of prioritizing that and access to that kind of care. But you also have to like want it to um, your chain of command. Like, if you're a supervisor and you see your soldiers struggling, you can like take them and walk them into the hospital to try to get them some help. And I've had to do that before. Um, it, but sometimes your soldiers are struggling and you don't even really know it and they don't want get help or they don't, they don't really know because they're not listening that the help is out there maybe. Right. Um, so anyways, go ahead, Stephanie. I think you wanted to say something.
2: Yeah. Um. You have a more current experience than I do. I've been out for eight years. And when I came back from Afghanistan, there was still such a stigma mm-hmm. about mental health. And I remember that I had these screenings when I came back for my mental health and how I was doing. And it was it was so easy to answer the questions correctly for lack of a better term to to get by and get through and get cleared for duty. And I really think the Air Force is ahead on those things usually. And they were, you know, that at that point eight years ago, that was a good first step. But I really think it just needs to be mandated Mm -hmm. that you come
0: back and you go to a minimum of five therapy sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's what we should do for veterinarians too. We should all go to (laughs) therapy, you know, just make it mandatory. It would probably help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I had, I had really good support when I came back from Afghanistan, but I remember coming back and I had this great reunion with my best friend and she Amelie took me out for lunch and I, this was me in, in the restaurant, I'm just staring at the wall (laughs) and, and like Holly, um, grew up in a military family. So she had some experience and she just kind of let it go. But in my head, I could not get over that. There was texture on the wall because, (laughs) because I just spent six months in Afghanistan, Where every building is either metal or a tent. (laughs) (laughs) So there is no like decorative. (laughs) Yeah, no. So I just like, it was so discombobulating for me. And I remember like, I didn't really eat much from lunch because it was like so disorienting for me. And then later that day, we were sitting on the couch at her house and uh, I heard an aircraft. I was like, what is that? Oh, I was like, it's a plane. I was like, I know, but what kind of plane is that? That's not one of our planes. <laughs> and I was adamant that it wasn't because it wasn't a plane that had been at my base in Afghanistan.
0: Right. Right. It wasn't your, one of your planes. Yeah.
2: But it was a normal base, a normal plane for my base in Nebraska.
3: Wow. Mm.
2: So, but I mean, that's, that was the thing you had to be on alert for was a threat and right here different aircraft
0: is a threat It's a threat. yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. yeah, we just don't think that, right? We're so used to what we have and so fortunate that people like you are out there making texture sure on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that there's texture on the wall and we're not in a tent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what have I not a- asked you that I should have just because of my ignorance? Is there? Is there more that we want to tell people to either help them or open up to more conversations? We can have more of these conversations.
1: Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any like specific takeaways, but if there's anyone listening that like has an interest in becoming a military veterinarian, there's lots of different avenues to do that. um, And just like Stephanie said, I think, I think it's, easy i mean stephanie didn't say this but it made me think of this so like i think it's easy maybe to think on the outside that i don't know whatever your preconceived notions of of the military but there are some like so cool opportunities and there's like adventure and and resources and it's there's really cool like the double edged sword that stephanie was saying like that good edge of the sword is amazing and as a vet like you can really do a lot of things like you can you can get your residency paid for and get paid well, you know, like, um, during your residency and, and you can do some cool assignments and go cool places and do really neat surgeries on these amazing military working dogs and mentor people and teach and, and, you know, travel and, so there's like so many cool things about being a vet in the military. And I can only speak to that. Stephanie can speak to us more, but, um, but there is that other side where there are sacrifices that you make that some are loud and some are quiet. And some of the things that you deal with are just things that you maybe never would have thought that you'd struggle with. Or, you know, like I just, I got so overwhelmed in my first assignment that I, I remember like w- I was washing dishes and looking out the window and I just was like crying and looking at people thinking everyone's miserable. <laughs> and I don't know, I've never thought like that in my whole life. And I, I think it was my first taste of depression and I've never been like that before, but my job kind of pushed me there. And I, that might, that's not independent to being uh, um, in the military, right? right that's right. That that's happens probably to quite, that can happen to anyone. Yeah, sure. And especially as a vet, like our jobs can be really overwhelming for a thousand different reasons. Sure. And, um, but being a vet and the military, you know, they compound on each other a little bit and <clears throat> it was really hard for me. And I did have to do a lot of work to get to a better mental place, um, to enjoy my life again, after that low moment. And so I, I would just, I don't know. I I don't have any like warnings necessarily, but it's not, it's, it's not maybe that like that rosy all the time. And, and I think every job is like that. So,
0: well, and I, I think what I'm hearing from you is, you know, there's so many great, great, great things and there's so many bad things. And when I hear you say that, I think, well, that's, that's life. That's being a mom. That's being Mm -hmm. a veterinarian, that's being Mm -hmm. a human, like there are um, great highs and great lows, depending on what you're dealing with at at the current moment, you know, Mm -hmm. when someone dies in your family or you lose someone to suicide or all those things that just realizing Mm -hmm. that that's the human experience and that everybody's going through different parts of it at different times Mm -hmm. and that we can help you know, like you said, the military is great, but it also can cause really, really low feelings and PTSD and all of those things that that's, that's the human experience, the highs and the lows. And if you're in a, in a low that you can get to the highs, like it's not over there there, it's kind of a, you know, you're in the low, but there are ways to get back to the highs and that's what I would like to tell, you know, the people in my life that I've lost to suicide. It's like that it will get better. Like it, Mm -hmm. where you are right now, isn't what it's meant to be. Like it, there are ways to, to get back to the great parts, you Mm -hmm. know, and it sounds like that's kind of was your experience with the military.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just life, just like you said, and I will say to any listeners, like if you're thinking about getting coached I would recommend it and I'm not just saying that because we're on your podcast Julie but
0: like it really paid you under yeah I I passed (laughs) her some bills before we started (laughs) make sure you plug my coaching (laughs) yeah
1: yeah she didn't tell me to do that guys Um, but um I mean it really does it just helps just to reach out and maybe it's not coaching but maybe it's counseling but just like do something never work get out (laughs) of your rut because it's helpful to get That little lift out of whatever you're struggling with. And for me, it wasn't like super, I don't know, it wasn't super like miraculous, you know, like no No, magic happened. But Julie challenged some thoughts for me that were like so ingrained in my daily thinking that I didn't realize how toxic they were until she helped me come out of it, I guess, and recognize them and just like learn that it's okay to feel bad sometimes, like, that's okay. Like, there's such a stigma about feeling bad too. Like everyone's supposed right, well, to feel well, good we're brainwashed to
0: think that everything should always be happy. Yeah. Like, the, like things should always be fun and things should always be easy. And, you know, like we have this brainwashing and I mm-hmm. think when you, when someone challenges that, which is, you know, kind of what happened to me. I mean, I was always kind of one of those people that just plowed through kind of like you mm-hmm. guys said, when you were in the military, you just did it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I always mm-hmm. conducted myself. But, you know, when you, when you meet challenges, you're like, all right, there's got to be a, a way to, you know, deal with all this. And then you when you start to get some tools to work on yourself and with yourself and you start to figure it out, it's it doesn't mean all the bad goes away. Mm-hmm. It just means that you have some tools and now you can be like, oh, okay, it's supposed to be hard some days. <laughs> Veterinary medicine is supposed to suck on some days and it's supposed to be amazing on others, you know, <laughs> and that's part of it. So, yeah. So any, anything else from you, Stephanie, or did we um, cover most of it?
2: I think the one thing uh, that we didn't talk about from my aspect that we talked about for Monica is that um, my veterinary schooling was completely paid for by the military. Ah, Yes. Yeah, I, yes, yes. I did end up taking out some student loans for um, like personal expenses, housing expenses, but specific to the state of Wisconsin, there's a Wisconsin post nine or uh, Wisconsin GI bill for, for schooling. And then federally there's the post nine 11 GI bill, which is it changing Monica? Is there a new one? I think there's a new one.
1: There's another one, but something that I didn't even know until I was out processing but was that I can give that post nine eleven GI Bill to my kids, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the reasons why I'm serving in the reserves. But I didn't even know I had access to that because I had already got had my school paid for through the through the scholarship, but the GI Bill is still available to all service members. So yeah,
2: yeah. So there there are a lot of different programs. So if anybody who is currently serving is looking at Um, going to vet school. There, there are lots of programs. Um, There's the federal, there's different state ones. There's one called vocational rehab. And then if you go to school and then join the military, like before you finish vet school, um, there's like tuition repayment programs. So there's a lot out there and they Uh, I'm so grateful that they have paid for so much of my schooling and I'm glad that I don't have to make decisions about working a lot to get a lot of money to pay down my student loans that I do have. Um, And that's really kind of helping my work-life balance is I get to choose a job that's maybe not as much money, but has way better work-life balance.
0: Yeah, that's great. I will
1: amen that, Stephanie. I think if I could say... Yeah. Like for all the bad that maybe I experienced in the military, it has really set me up nicely to, to be able to like, my life can look what, however I want it to, because I don't, I'm not in debt for my school. So I have no student debt. And some of my colleagues, like they're stuck because they can't, Mm -hmm. they have no other options. And I just am so thankful. Just like Stephanie said that, like, I have freedom. I have Mm -hmm. financial freedom and military provided that for me and for that I'm thankful.
0: That's great. Well, I appreciate you guys doing this so much. I, I learned a lot about both of you, even though I already knew you <laughs> and I knew this would be fun. So I'm really glad that you did it. If anybody out there is, um, wants any more information or has any questions for you, um, you can email me at jacapeldvm um, and I can pass on these two beautiful people's emails to you if they're willing And, um, if they have any questions or they want to learn more about, um, your experience and I just really appreciate you both. You're just amazing. And it was fun. Well, thank you so much for having
2: me, inviting me. And I've appreciated all the work we've done together
0: as well. So, (laughs) I'll be sending your money. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I love both of you. I'm I'm so excited to talk again. And if if people like this podcast and they want to hear more, then maybe we'll do this again. Sounds good.
1: All good right. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> Have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.